Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. My name is Aaron Santamayer, and I'm going to be your host. I want to thank you for continuing to listen in. But before we jump into the interview and the podcast today, I want to share some exciting news with you in case you haven't heard. The book I have written entitled A Caring Life, How Each of Us Can Change the Trajectory of an Uncaring World, will launch on September 26th and will be available on Amazon. The book is filled with stories of life and service in Africa and lessons I've learned about caring, and it gives us opportunities to examine our life as we care for others and how we can impact this world um, through caring. You want to pick it up on September 26th? Let's jump into the podcast. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here again today with our friend Dick Foth with a session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we're going to jump into our interview with Tanya Crossman on adverse childhood experiences as a TCK. Dick, so excited to have you with us back again today. Always a delight and uh, I, I love just the opportunity to be here. Dick is a TCK or MK and obviously you're a grandfather and parent. Um, these questions will, I'm looking forward to hearing your, your wisdom and insight on. Um, the first question the listener sent in was, one of my biggest concerns with being a missionary is my kids. I'm concerned that having them grow up overseas, that they're missing so much. It seems to be a constant battle for me. How can I overcome this struggle or am I supposed to overcome it? Really good question. And I don't know that you're supposed to overcome it. You have to deal mm. with it. And mm. I don't know that it's something to be overcome. Uh, sort of that, like that uh, Lencioni line. Uh, yeah. Lencioni about some things are made to be solved. Other things are made to be managed. I think yeah. this is one of those. And my question would be this. Um, that my kids are missing so much. My question would be, like, what? Yeah. What are they missing? What, what is it about their lives that would be less fulfilled or less fruitful if they lived in Chicago or Pascagoula, Mississippi, as yeah. opposed to some other country? It, what's interesting about this, and I, I really get the question, because when I was young, and this still happened some, you know, when I was four years old, my sister and I were in a boarding school in South India, 300 miles or 150 miles from where our parents were back in the day when you couldn't get there very quickly. And the, the, the thing that I've come to in the last, I would say the last five years, and it's crazy because it took me that long to get it, is that what a tremendous gift I was given hmm. by living for four years in a place and a country that was so distinct and hmm. so different and so challenging compared to where I came from. Yeah. And looking back on that experience for me, now I'm speaking from the kid's point of view, from the missionary right. kid's point of view, two things that I have come to, come to appreciate is that that travel and that experience became a lens through which I see my whole life. Hmm. And one is that life is an adventure. I mean, can you imagine a three-year-old kid getting on an ocean liner and going across the Atlantic right after World War II? And when we came back four years later, came back on a Danish freighter for you know, five weeks on the open sea with eight passengers for pizza. But you got to eat with the captain and you learned about Danish pastries. I mean, life is <laughs> an adventure. And I, and I lived in a, in a school up in the tea plantations where they had tigers and leopards and all kinds of stuff. So that's one thing. Second thing is that you don't have to be afraid of different. Hmm. I grew up in a culture that was a, sort of a little white, if I can say it this way, white Christian bubble surrounded by a brown Hindu context. And different is not terrible. Hmm. And as a matter of fact, different will stretch you to try to understand what's going on. If you see life as an adventure, and if you say, you know, different is something that, that is a positive, not a negative, most often, not exclusively, then my whole life becomes a learning experience that I cherish. Hmm. And so... That's what I would say. That's good. That's good. 
Next question. Um, you hear of cases of missionary kids and pastors, kids going off the rails that they had in quotation marks, maybe in part to one or both parents being absent from their lives. I do not want this to happen to my MKs, but I seem to overcorrect in one direction or the other, either way too much family time to the detriment of things or vice versa. Any wisdom on this one for me? This this parenting thing is not for sissies, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's it's great when they're really small because even though they, you know, a two-year-old is faster than the speed of light, uh, you can kind of control them and you're responsible for all this thing and the care and the nurture. And then they hit the teen years and you're living with a different person. I had a friend say, and I knew her as a teenager, and then she had one of her own. I said, so how are you doing, Susie? And she said, well, I have a 14-year-old son, and apparently I have stupid written on my forehead. <laughs> I, would, I, would I would suggest in this moment that let's not confuse um, the natural growth of a child and the testing of the boundaries and the communication and all of that as a missions problem or a missions mm. challenge. You know, it's a human challenge. Hmm. I think the key to parenting is adequate availability and hmm. adequate communication. Okay. And how we communicate today. We as parents always want to communicate on our terms. I, uh, I wrote a, we, we give our grandkids uh, birthday cards with some cash in it and so forth. And so we did a card to, a, to our 14-year-old grandson a while back. And I wrote it out, we love you, and all that kind of stuff. And so we watched him open the card, and he took the money out, and he liked that. And then I saw him struggling. And I said, I'll just call him John. I said, John, you, what's the problem? He said, Grandpa, I can't, I'm not sure I can understand this. Well, in, in our country today, cursive has gone away, for the most part. <laughs> for third graders, you don't learn cursive because you're on keyboard. The problem is we're going to get to the place where you're signing your name with an X now back to the old days. <laughs> and so understand that your kids may not know cursive. Now, that may not be true in the missions context, but it's absolutely true here in the United States. So how we communicate. And if, in fact, um, young people tend to communicate by texting and all of that, the intentionality on the part of the parent to be available and to keep communicating, but understand that they're not going to read a four-page letter from you. Understand that hmm. for you to call them every day, if you had that option, may not be where they are, especially if they're teenagers. Yeah. And, but to, but to, in some more cryptic way, succinct way, be able to do it. And we keep wanting to give our kids inputs, right? Yeah. So we're sending them articles. We're doing all the well. You know, I, I would, uh, I'd have a conversation if it's possible to have a good conversation. <laughs> have a conversation. Let Let me just. Uh, Say that having said that, yeah, I have a friend who's now she's over a hundred years old. Uh, we met them; they were former missionary medical missionaries in India. We met them when I was a church planner back in the day. And one day, her name was Jessie. Um, I said, Jessie, how in the world did you stay in touch with your six children, who were in a school eleven hundred miles from where you lived in India? How did you do that? She said, Well, uh, Paul and I wrote them letters. I said, cool, that's great. So you wrote them every once in a while? She said, uh, she said we wrote them letters every day. I said, every day? And she looked at me like I had a third eye in my forehead, and I may have shared this before. But no. she said, you know, uh, um, Dick, if they'd have been at home, I would have spoken to them every day, wouldn't I? Hmm. And he was a doctor, and he was attending all these people. She, she said, I wrote them five days of the week, and Paul wrote them on weekends. Wow. And when she said that, I said, well, sure. I mean, that's what I would do. Yeah. I'd write it. Day, you know? <laughs> but what, what is interesting is that, is that I, I've said, you know, um, don't write them a four-page letter or whatever. But I think it might be interesting to type or write them yeah. a letter, a snail mail, yeah. just a short a couple of paragraphs every now and again. Because now snail mail, expensive, but yeah. special. Yeah. And, um, I just think that that's powerful. But the idea of intentionally communicating and yeah. consistently communicating, 
I think is at the heart of how parenting works in any situation. And it's no less true, maybe more true in, in the third culture kid content. Wow. Always, always gold, Dick. Enjoy spending time with you and um, your wisdom and insight. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Tanya Crossman on adverse childhood experiences as a TCK and get to learn from her on that subject. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have our friend of the podcast with us, Tanya Crossman. Tanya, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Aaron. Last time we discussed your book, uh, Misunderstood, I got a lot of great feedback about that book. Just wanted to see where you've been, what you've been up to since that time. That's a great question. I think <laughs> it was within the last sort of two, two years right. or so. So yeah. I, was, I was probably on the surface in the same place I am now staying with my parents in Australia while my husband's in a different country. Uh, that's been our norm for the last two and a half years. Okay. <laughs> We're still working on the paperwork to get me to the States. We are progressing through it. Yeah. Um, so the goal is that next year I'll be moving to the U.S. on a green card um, wow. and getting to actually live with my husband again, wow. which will be very exciting. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. In the meantime, I have cute little niece and nephews to play with, which awesome. is a pretty good um, consolation prize. For sure. And if people have not listened to the first podcast we did together, you have a heart and passion for a TCKs. Can you just share mm. a little bit about your your love and your that history and the, kind of the genesis of what the leads to what you're doing now? Well, I was a TCK. Uh, I was part of an international business family. So my dad's job moved us overseas, actually moved us within Australia and then moved us overseas when I was a teenager. Um, we were planning to take another international posting, but because of my education reasons, uh, relocated to Australia, back to Australia instead. Um, but I didn't know anything about TCKs, cross-cultural knowledge, re-entry, nothing about any of that terminology. Um, after I'd moved to Beijing, a friend had taken over as the youth pastor for the biggest international church in China and said, hey, you should come along and help out at youth group. And I said, no, for ages. <laughs> but once I finally gave in and went along, I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel like I'm home. <laughs> like I loved the kids. I loved the feel, the vibe. I just got along with them so quickly. Uh, and it took a year or two before I was reading literature about TCKs to go, oh, I'm a TCK. I it was the first time I'd, I had not connected my experience to theirs for a long time. And was reading the material and being like, oh, that's what I went through. Mm. Oh, that's what re-entry is, that I had words and vocabulary to explain my own experiences. Mm. So that was part of it at the beginning. But what really sort of changed my direction was when I started working with parents, mm. not just the kids as a mentor, but working with parents. I got asked to speak at a bunch of parent groups and meetings, a couple of other sort of gatherings of youth leaders and and people who work with TCKs to share what I knew. I thought, doesn't everyone know this? And realised, no, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and all these parents who were doing the best that they could, who loved their kids and engaged with their kids, but didn't understand their kids' point of view. Mm. And, and just a few bits of knowledge um, could change the way that they connected with their kids and parented their kids and build a stronger connection between parent and child. So it was actually the parents that prompted me to, to move more into the research and writing field. And I'm very glad I did Yeah, <laughs> because it's been very rewarding work. Yeah. That just made me think of this summer you talked about, I'm not a TCK, my wife and my, obviously my two kids are. We were in Springfield, Missouri this summer and um, we were standing in line to get Andy's frozen custard. And the lady said, could you stand to the side while you're waiting on your order? And I stood to the side and my daughter was with me and she said, I think we're on the wrong side. I think she meant us for her to go the other way. I said, it's fine. We can just stand here. She said, no, but I think she wants us to go on the other side. I said, we can just stand here. She said, dad, I'm not from here and I don't want to stick out. 
but for me, you know, I'm from the U.S., and so it didn't. I thought oh, we can stand on. She didn't say what side. We'll stand on either side. It's not a big deal. But it was just an insight into her mind and where she's at as she mm-hmm. moves back to the university. She's just trying to figure all these things out, and then is there right or wrong answer? And she's just trying to do it right. So anyway, as you mentioned that, yeah, me absolutely. as a parent, there's so it, many of the the rules that we have in a place yeah. are not spoken. Yeah. You just kind of have to figure them out, and it's really stressful. Yeah. And so anyway, it's as a parent, it made me realize there's just a lot of things that I continue to miss just because mm. I don't have that lens of of being a TCK, a parent with great intentions, but also missing, missing, the, uh, missing the things. Yeah, so, I mean, pretty much all the work I do goes from this assumption that parents are doing the best that they can and have the best intentions for their kids. And that's yeah. my starting place. Yeah, that's good. Yes, there are c- cases where that's not true. But those parents usually aren't looking for help and advice yeah. anyway. <laughs> um, when when I have I have known those families, right. I've known those uh, cases, and when that's happening, I'm working with kids. Yeah, um, to help them. But when when I'm working with parents, the parents who take the time to learn, to read, to come to seminars, yeah. to listen to podcasts, they care. Yeah, and yeah, and good. so that's always my starting place. It's good. Today we're going to just um, dive into the white paper, caution and hope. The prevalence of adverse childhood experiences in globally mobile TCKs. Can you just share before we begin to dive into that? Um, what prompted you to do this white paper, do the research, and look in, into this specific subject? So, over a year ago now, nearly a year and a half ago now, probably was a year and a half ago now, Lauren Wells, who's the founder and CEO of TCK Training, she reached out to me. At the time, it was just her in the company. Uh, the company is now 16, I think, people. It has exploded <laughs> in the last 18 months. But she reached out and she said, I want to do this research and you're at the top of my list of people I would want to have helped me do that. And I said, oh, research on TCK, sure, I'd love to help. <laughs> and so I, I helped out as a contractor to put the survey together and oversee it, conduct it. Uh, so that's what I was doing last year. This year I actually signed up to join the team at TCK Training. So I'm part of the leadership team. I'm the director of research and education services. And part of my job has been going through the data we found in the survey, um, putting together the stats and writing, well, this big white paper, but we've also been writing blog posts. Um, We've got a series of blog posts on specific subgroups Mm. that are part of our um, survey. And, yeah, looking at what can we learn from this information so that's kind of how I got roped into it but it really goes back to Lauren has been wanting to do this for for years her background is in child development and she had planned was accepted to do a PhD in um basically this she wanted to do this research as a PhD and then you know life went a different direction and she did her book and and the company came together um but it's been really exciting for both of us to do research that we know is needed, that she's wanted to do for years. The conversations we have been having with experts in the field in so many different parts of the TCK sort of sphere have been fascinating. Hmm. Um, there's been so much buzz and so much just um, well, gratitude and yeah. interest yeah. for having done this work and we're already talking about what the next survey will be yeah. and what the next white paper will be and yeah yeah it's been really exciting to have some numbers yeah. to there's so many people who anecdotally had some ideas around this had stories about this kind of stuff but no one had numbers yeah and and that's what we have now yeah and it's robust you know I'm a scientist at heart I think that's what I appreciated as I uh, dove into it and looked at it, it's a robust, it's done professionally, it's done very well. It's not, hey, we took a survey of five people and we came up with all these. I mean, and that you do see that sometimes in in surveys and in research, It's mm. this is really done very well. And so I, I appreciate that because if we're drawing conclusions from it, which is what we're doing, we want to make sure that the, the research is robust and strong and rich and it can stand up into that for even the academic yeah. rigor. So, I mean, part yeah, of our actually, process was going to experts and having them basically, here's what we're proposing to do yeah. with our survey. Tell us what to fix. Yeah. And we had, you know, career academics tell us what we should do differently. That's good. We had child psychologists, therapists in the expat and TCK field go through and go, here's where we think you need to have more 
caution and care for your yeah. survey takers. That's good. Um, here's how to explain this better. We had people in the education field, educators and, you know, consultants go through it. And we had a bunch of different people with different experiences, people who had developmental trauma and childhood traumas, people who didn't read through it, go through it and go, here's how this worked for me. There's all these things that happened to me. I have nowhere to put. Okay, well, where, how can we, what additional questions should we ask good. Um, to make this feel like it's not missing things? Yeah. And I think that really showed getting all of these different voices. Yeah. Um, and to I, help I, us understand the best way to, yeah, produce yeah. this. And the diversity of it too. I appreciated that it was, you know, my, my world is majority is TCKs working in missional or global workers. But I appreciated that you had you had different segments in there. So it gives it a, once again, it gives it robustness. And then it, that diversity, what I think just adds to the strength of the the outcomes and the, yeah, the conclusions drawn from it. So excellent job and congratulations. So I just wanted to say that before we, we dived any further into it. You share about adverse childhood experiences. Can you share what these are, some reasons this topic is so important to TCKs and families? When we looked at how to dive into this topic, adverse childhood experiences was a natural starting point. So ACE, A-C-E, is the acronym that's used to abbreviate this. And ACEs have been studied for 25 years. There are so many studies out there. There have been, you know, like 100 studies done in the States and in other countries around the world. There have been hundreds of journal articles um, looking at the connection between ACE scores and different kinds of negative outcomes later in life. There have been lots of um, public health inquiries around it, like, okay, well, if we know this, then what kind of early intervention should we do? There's also links to preventative and protective factors. So how can we mitigate this? How can we buffer children to make sure that these risks don't turn into uh, problems down the line? So, so for us, this was a really strong area to start with because we had numbers we could compare to something there's no point in getting a lot of data if we can't compare it to a baseline yeah, and a scores gave us a baseline yeah that's excellent that's excellent and then then from so that what i hear you saying that's not just a scores is not something just in the tck world that's not something no. that we, you all that you developed but rather it gave you a baseline and then something to so is that correct am i hearing you correct on that yes yes okay. so we have data for aces in monocultural populations around the world so in the white paper we picked a main study one of the biggest original studies was done in the u.s with seventeen thousand americans that was the mm. cdc kaiser study okay we used that as our main baseline because it was just such a big study. Yeah. Um, so we use that as our baseline to compare against, but there have also been just dozens of other studies in various countries. There have been multiple studies within the US, including ones comparing different states and other different demographics, um, but also in multiple countries around the world. So yeah. we quoted, um, we cited a, a survey done in the Philippines um, and one done in Nigeria okay. um, in our white paper. Very cool. And yeah, there's there's a lot of data out there, which makes it a strong starting place. Yeah. yeah. So so how do you calculate an ACE score? Is it a test you take or is it the people answers questions or yeah, just yeah, how do you get an ACE score? An ACE score is a number between zero and ten, and it's talking about ten different types of childhood trauma or adverse experience. So it's not about how many times something happens to you, but how many different types of experience you go through. So the 10 experiences are divided into three categories. We have abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction. Abuse, there's physical abuse from a household adult, emotional abuse from a household adult, and sexual abuse from any adult or person five years older than you. So if you were, say, seven and assaulted by someone who was 12, that would count. Because of the restrictions around that, by the way, we added two extra questions to the survey, one talking about child-to-child -child abuse so that okay. we could get those statistics that didn't count as an A score, yeah. and another about grooming behaviour because that had been raised 
um, particularly by those in the international education world, as a possible area of concern. Mm. So we have data on those which will go into the next white paper. Mm. The next one is neglect, physical neglect and emotional neglect. These are both a little bit subjective, but the questions basically ask uh, about the child's perceived sense of safety and security mm. before the age of 18. So did not were they loved and were they, you know, taken care of, but did they feel that mm. they were loved and important and special and their family supported each other? So that's mm. if they did not feel that that was true as a child, that counted as emotional neglect. Okay. Physical neglect was if they were concerned about their material needs being met. So I was mm. worried I wouldn't have enough food, I wouldn't have clean clothes, I wouldn't have someone who could take me to the doctor if I needed. So if they were worried about those things, again, not whether they didn't have food, but if they were concerned they might not have food, mm. um, that would be physical neglect. Wow. And then we have a series of questions about household dysfunction. So this is when an adult in the household um, had some kind of problem which by nature impacts the child. So this includes okay. divorce and separation of parents, incarceration of an adult in the household, substance abuse by a parent or adult in the household, mental illness of a parent, mm -hmm. including depression or a suicide attempt, and, oh, and domestic violence. Okay. Basically, we ask questions about those 10 experiences. Mm -hmm. We use the questions that were quite standard to a lot of surveys out there, mm -hmm. not the most recent ones, okay. but the ones that had been used by the most surveys so we yeah. could compare them the That's most right. accurately to other studies. Yeah. Uh, and then we were able to calculate that score out of 10 for okay. each of the 1,904 people who took the survey. Yeah. And so did I hear you when you talked about that? So these were people that are over the age of 18 that are reflecting on their childhood. Is that so it's not an eight yes. year is it so it's not an eight year old taking taking this? No. It's someone who's you over have to be over 18 to calculate the score. Okay. There are studies that have been done with younger people about what ACEs are present in them up to the age of eight or up to the age of 12. Yeah. But that has to be done very differently because there's a lot of duty of care stuff involved sure. and it's more observational than yeah. perspective at that point yeah, that's good. Um, yeah. so they're very different studies the yeah. the typical ACE studies are done with adults reflecting on what was or was not present in their adult years there is also a sense that often young adults um, so especially under the age of 25 are more likely to have a lower score because they may not have fully reflected on the experiences hmm. for example a lot of people who experienced um, sexual abuse in childhood uh, haven't finished processing that and aren't able to articulate that yet. Yeah. So the numbers may be a bit lower Yeah. Um, in those early years of adulthood, and yeah. that's fine. Um, I um, yeah. really appreciated how the uh, the research was, um, the visual representation of the research, I guess that's how I would put put it. Would you be able just to take a few minutes if um, we'll put the link to the white paper in the show notes of the podcast, mm. people can look at it. Just as they're looking at it, maybe some of the data points you think that really are key for them to look at, and then how that you would want somebody to read it. I think that sometimes we, at least for me, I'm, I'm a medical background, and I think everyone can pick up a medical chart and figure it out and understand what the medical chart says. But you know, there's certain things in certain fields that we just know. Hey, this is this is the way you would read this. This is the way you would understand it. Could you just maybe give a little bit of insight to parents and? other aunties and uncles and people in the community that maybe would like to look at this, but how you would like them to read mm. it, if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. The big piece for us is that in all of these studies that have been done, there is a strong correlation between a, an A score of four or higher and negative outcomes in, in adulthood. So a score of four or more is strongly correlated with things such as high levels of depression and suicidal ideation, um, higher levels of substance abuse and difficulty um, going completing rehab and getting out of an addiction, higher levels of various kinds of health issues, including cancer, autoimmune, asthma, things like that. Um, and so what we've really paid the most attention to is where is that four-plus score highest? So the biggest piece for us is that in that US CDC Kaiser study, 12.5% of Americans had an A score of four or higher. 
in a lot of the studies I've seen, the US was higher um, on the scale than many other countries had higher ACE scores. Um, some of the countries I saw that had higher were like Sri Lanka had a higher level of ACE scores. I think New Zealand had a higher level, but the studies were much smaller as well. Um, and sometimes they're done in less random settings. Right. Um, the UK was 9%, Philippines was 9%. So that's sort of more standard. In our TCKs, 21% had a score of four or more. Um, and, you know, we've as we've continued to look at the data, there are certain risks that raise that even higher. So we're looking at what raises the risk for a child. We're not saying that living overseas means a child will have negative outcomes. So that's not how we want people to read this. We want people to read this and go, okay, I need to take this risk seriously. So what can I do to buffer my child to protect them and prevent them from having you know, these negative outcomes, because mm. the whole reason we're in this work is we believe in the power of preventive care and yeah. protective factors. That's good. So we, we want people to read this and have caution that yeah. just because I am, you know, on the mission field and serving God doesn't mean my children are automatically safe. Yeah. But there's also hope. Yeah. We We have research that shows here are the things that, make children thrive you know we we cited research by Bethel and her co-workers saying that if someone had a high A score but they also had a lot of positive childhood experiences in place their risk of depression as an adult dropped 72 percent wow wow yeah so that's why we called it caution and hope because it's both yeah. Right. It's we, we don't want people to go, oh, so we can't do these things. We can't go right. overseas. Right. No, we were both raised with right. these overseas experiences and we're thankful for that. But we've also experienced yeah. some of the negatives of that. And we want to smooth those out so kids can just have the benefit of the good. Yeah. Um, good. Without, you know, potential trauma yeah. of the difficult things. Well, I appreciate it as a as a father of TCKs and a husband of a TCK. Appreciate the intentionality and the uh, yeah the the professionalism um, by which this was done. Yeah, I just know as a as I've done my doctoral research and done things, I've went into projects like this with some hypotheses that I thought this is the way the data is going to you know suss out. This is the way it's going to work out. Um, did you have any maybe some hypotheses going into the research? And were there's some things that maybe you thought, mm, that's not exactly how I thought that would, you know, end up when I looked at the data. Yeah. I mean, we definitely had some hypotheses and most of them panned out, but what we were stunned by was the the margin by which they were present. So we hmm. did expect for TCKs to overall have higher A scores. Okay. Um, we expected to see higher levels of emotional neglect and emotional abuse um, hmm. and parental mental illness. We expected to see that. But the percentage of which it was present was really stunning to us. Wow. Emotional neglect and, and what, what were the two, two years? And emotional that, abuse. We were present at about four times the rate in TCKs that they were in American kids. Wow. And mm. so that's something that you, that, that didn't see, that surprises me. So you weren't, that wasn't something that, I don't know, that's just, it's just surprising. Could you go yeah. just a little bit deeper on that? I mean, we I expected mean, it to be higher. We did not expect it to be four times higher. Yeah, that's um, significant. It yeah, is significant. significant. And that what's in what's but the hope piece there again, emotional neglect is the easiest one to fix with parental training. Hmm. The re, the research shows that out. Hmm. Um, because really, again, we are almost always talking to engaged parents who want the best for their kids. Sure. Most of what's happening with the emotional neglect, it's not about the reality of a hmm. parent not loving their kid. It's about a child who doesn't feel that that is being communicated to them. Okay. Right? So yeah. a lot of the sort of preventive care work we do is about teaching parents how to communicate that to their kids in the midst of the stress yeah. of transitional life. And that's kind of what we think these A scores are mostly showing is they are demonstrating the stress on the parents mm. of transitional international life. Yeah. Um, parental mental illness being twice as high, again, was to be expected. There's a, There's expat surveys already out there that show that Mental illness is two to two and a half times more likely in globally mobile adults than in those who are 
uh, geographically stable. Wow. Um, and so we would expect that to be higher in the kids and to raise their ACE scores there. Yeah. But then when you think about it, the emotional abuse, the emotional neglect, a lot of that is the result of stressed out parents. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. And so, for example, everyone knows if you have a really rough day, it is so easy to snap at your partner or snap at your kids. Yeah. Yeah? But if you are in transition a lot, that's a lot more opportunities to have no margin and no grace for yourself, your partner, your kids. Yeah. So if you're in transition frequently, your kids are having more and more of those experiences of parents not having margin, not having time, not having attention, not connecting with them. Yeah. Wow. Without a parent ever intending to send that message, hmm. just the existence of transition in their lives can, hmm. can produce that. Just the existence of the stress of that can produce that. And that's before you add the fact that living these very online global worlds so many people in every sector, including even missionaries, will be doing work in person during the day and then they're in meetings online yeah. at night. Yeah. So it's a lot harder to be deliberate about making sure you're having family time and time yeah. with kids because there's always something you could be doing. Uh, well, so as we're starting to talk to agencies, sending organisations, we're like, one of the big things this research should be saying is you need to be checking in about the workload and the mental health of your workers yeah. because that's impacting their kids long-term. And I would raise my hand on that one. It is, uh, you're right. There's definitely two halves of your day. And um, sometimes there's three halves and there. Uh, we know there's not really three halves in a day, but it, it feels like that because you have yeah. the current time zone life and then the rest of the time zone life. And then it, it definitely yeah, so um, can much. eat can eat into uh, any family time that was there. And uh, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a, so the other thing I heard you say is this is maybe there are some parents that are intentionally trying to be emotionally abusive or emotionally neglectful. But I think mm -hmm. what I heard you say is the majority of the time that's it's, they're not trying. It's just a result of the transition and the yes. life that they're living. Is that, yeah. did I hear you correct on that? That's definitely our experience anecdotally okay. that, you know, again, this is part of why when I started working with parents and not just with kids, everything shifted for me. Hmm. When I was now on both sides of a misunderstanding and I'm like, that's why this is happening, hmm. right? Yeah. Um, a story I've told a few times now because it is so powerful to me I was getting a phone call from a missionary mom at 6 a.m. on a Saturday. Hmm. It was like 6.01. She clearly decided that 6 o'clock was like... <laughs> Earliest time she could rationally call me on a Saturday. <laughs> right. Um, basically, her daughter was was shut down catatonic. The family was supposed to be on a plane and dad and the other two girls had gone and mum was home with their youngest because she would not, she wouldn't get up, wouldn't get dressed. And there's only so much you can force a 13-year-old to right. do. Well, for sure. So she's just like, I don't know what to do. Can you please come over? <laughs> so mm. I came over. And I sat down on the couch and mum tried to explain what happened and she's like in tears, the poor thing. Uh, and she was like trying to invite her daughter to share and her daughter wouldn't say anything, wouldn't even raise her head. Eventually, and mum's like, do you want me to go? No, she's like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to leave you guys here. I'm going to go into the study. I'll be there if you want me. And you could just see her just broken, right? Yeah. Like she's done everything that she can and she doesn't know what to do. So eventually the story comes out that... From the daughter's point, like from the mum's point of view, daughter had come home the night before and they said, have you, you need to pack because we're leaving in the morning and daughter just like yeah. shut down. Yeah. Like she shut down last night and she didn't come back up again. From the daughter's point of view, she had thought they were leaving Monday and that she had the weekend to do some things before they went on holiday. She was going to do her maths assignment and she was going to see her best friend. Yeah. And mum, and when I relayed this, like mum's like, yep, I do remember those things. <laughs> like, didn't realize it was this level of intense. But in daughter's head, math is a, is a subject that's really stressful for her. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, she got C's and B's and in the expat world, that's like failing. Right. Uh, so she wanted it taken care of before she went on holiday so she could actually enjoy the holiday. Hmm. The best friend that she sees every day at school and every weekend out of school, this was their last holidays before the friend was moving away. And so in her head it was the last time that yeah. they were going to have that time together, even though they were going to see each other every single day. Right. Like for the <laughs> next two months before the friend actually moved away. But this was the last holidays. Yeah. 
before she left. So it was the last time. All right. So get this explained. I, I get mum to come back in and I explain it from daughter's perspective to mum. Mum's immediate reaction was to turn to her daughter and say, I'm so sorry I didn't hear you. You did tell me those things and I didn't hear what you were saying. How can we fix this from now? And mm. I was just like, like A plus 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 parent answer <laughs> response. Like this is this is she's a missionary kid herself. Like there's right. a lot that she gets, but you know, my best well-intentioned, loving, connected, yeah. switched on parent who completely missed it. Like if the mm. best possible parent can miss it sometimes, yeah, anyone can miss it sometimes. Yeah. Wow. Right. And that for me was such a learning moment of this is one of the most switched on incredible parents I know. Mm. Yeah. Everyone has those times where they miss it and we all need help. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know? So for sure. yeah. Parenting I, is I really do think most of what we're talking about here are uh yes, there are the outliers. There are people who are self-absorbed and they are caring about their own prestige and they're not connected into their kids' needs. Those mm. people definitely exist and I have met a whole bunch of them, but they are not the norm. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, That's good. Most That's people good. just need a little help to translate how their children um, experience this environment alongside them. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit earlier about mobility, mm -hmm. its impact on uh, ACE scores. Could you just share a little bit about that? Is there like a direct correlation or is there just, yeah, just about mobility and ACE scores? Yeah, that was one of the other surprises for us. So we did a few different demographics um, to help us sort the data. One was sector, so mission, business, military, diplomat. One was the type of school attended, you know, local, international, boarding, homeschool, et cetera. And the other was how much mobility, so how many countries they'd lived in, how many times they moved locations, how many times they moved houses. And when we sorted the A scores by mobility, we had just the, for us, the most incredible stat of the white paper show up, which is that when you look at extreme mobility, so 10 plus location moves, 15 plus house moves before the age of 18, um, the rate of four plus ACEs of high risk ACE scores goes up to 32 and 33%. Cool. So one in three TCKs experiencing extreme mobility have this high risk ACE score. Hmm. Um, and it's more like one in five for the rest of the of yeah. the TCKs overall. Yeah. So TCKs overall is one in five. For high mobility, it's one in three. Wow. Uh, and it, it did in, increase, you know, sort of higher mobility. But once you hit that extreme mobility, it just, yeah, That's it went really high. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. The other one that I thought was interesting was you talked about schooling, having it broken up into, mm -hmm. I think, international school. But the one that stuck out to me was the idea of homeschooling. And there was a high, that one was one that as I looked through the data was kind of, it surprised me because I wouldn't have thought. Yeah. Can you can you just share a little bit about that score and maybe something that you've deduced from that? Yeah. I mean, that was not something we had any particular hypothesis about. We just threw the data out and that yeah. was what came out. We're like, oh, so in our data set, almost all of the, of the TCKs who attended Christian international schools, boarding schools or homeschooled were from the mission community. Okay. So right now we're just talking about mission kids. Yeah. Um, when we looked at mission kids, A scores by the type of school they went to, there was huge variance. Hmm. Mission kids who were homeschooled, had a score high a scores at around a rate of about 20 percent those who attended international school you know regular secular international school not a right. christian international secular international school had uh high risk a scores at a rate of about 11 percent, so about yeah. half yeah um not what we would have expected yeah. <laughs> probably overall a lot of us um so this is correlation, not causation. We okay. can't say that international school is better for missionary kids and homeschool is worse for missionary kids. That's not what we're saying. Uh, we made a point actually of saying that specifically in the paper itself, Yeah, uh, that part of the reason people choose homeschool may be that there are no other schools available in that area sure. and that, you know, there may be other ACEs associated with that. Yeah. But there may also be other stresses associated with homeschooling your kids. like. Yeah. 
if you are stressed out all the time, your kids are present to see that. <laughs> so, you know, they could go either way. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have enough information to really draw much of a conclusion from that. But I think the big thing it really did for us was say, okay, I think there are a lot of missionary parents out there who feel pressure that homeschooling is always the safest, best option for their kids. Hmm. And these ACE scores are saying that's not necessarily the case. If you have multiple options for schooling, this data is saying that choose the best option for your child, regardless of what you think conventional wisdom is saying. Okay. Right. Because this is saying that international schools are not some big, bad, scary place to send your kids. Right. In terms of their, you know, ACE risk, their adverse childhood experience risk. Yeah. Their risk of, abuse and neglect doesn't go up when they attend an international school. Okay. Good. Uh, and so I think that was the big takeaway for me was for, to take that burden off parents that it's okay to pick whatever educational choice you want for your family and for your child. Yeah. You you mentioned really quickly, and as this, I we hear it a lot of times is like I said, is correlation causation. For somebody that when you yes. said that, they thought, what What does she mean by that? Could you just share real quickly so that as parents read this um, mm. and read the white paper, yeah, just some, that scientific term correlation causation and what the difference is between the two. Sure, absolutely. Can you tell I was raised by a researcher? <laughs> <laughs> my, my mom was a scientific researcher. She was a cancer researcher in a lab, you know, back before I was born. And like my whole life, she'd said I was going to be a researcher and she wanted me to do a research, like a research degree. I, however, am the only person in my family who does not have a science degree. <laughs> with no interest in research. Didn't have any interest. I was like, ugh, don't make me do that research stuff. Yeah. And here, like, what do we find? Yep, I'm yeah, the yeah. one doing research is exactly. my job. <laughs> exactly. Um, so correlation and causation. Correlation is saying, okay, we see this figure and we know that in this sample, homeschooling missionary kids had higher ACE scores. Sure. Causation would be saying homeschooling causes additional childhood trauma. Okay. That's not what we know from these numbers. Sure. All we know from these numbers is that homeschooled missionary kids had higher scores. Okay. So that's called correlation. We see that there is a pattern here, but we don't know why. That's correlation when we have done a different kind of research and we can plot the trigger and the cause for those high scores, that would be causation. And we don't have causation in any of our numbers. We only have correlation. We're looking for patterns. And what we hope that one of the outcomes of this study will be that it will give people a reason to do more research. Um, A lot of people I've talked to who are trying to do master's theses and PhD dissertations in the TCK field have trouble convincing their supervisors that this topic is important and necessary and needs yeah. more work, yeah. that there's enough people who care about it. We're really hoping that this will, we, we've, we noted multiple places in the white paper where there needs to be more research. And this is one area that more research would be great. Yeah. And I think, well, and that's another thing I, is somebody who's done research what you've done is you've provided some baselines for people then to mm-hmm. compare. And I think as, as people continue to do research on this subject, they'll have something to compare it to. Because I know when I did mine, one of the things my professors would always say, well, what are you going to compare your research to? So you, this might be a great idea because I wanted to do research on yeah. cancer amongst missionary people that were missionaries. Because I always I thought in my mind there was a higher rate. But they said, "How you have nothing to compare that to. So it be, might be great research, but you can't compare it. So I think that's yeah. another value of what you've done is you've done some foundational research that people can then that want to continue on with it. They can compare yeah. it back to what you've done, which I think is is a is a is a true blessing is a true blessing and sure. and we've created baselines for ourselves too so yeah. we can continue to do more research yeah. Um, yeah. and we can compare back to this baseline yeah. in particular one of the biggest troubles in trying to do non-random research to be able to just go okay we're going to pick everyone in this yeah. you know not just whoever wants to sign up right is because in the tck field every sector is so disparate yeah. right and and you can't get an everyone survey without it being a specific subset. It's just not possible. So part of what we hope is we've created a baseline that people can go and do that separate sector work. So go and get numbers for just international schools and see how it compares to what happened in our survey with international schools. 
and just look at diplomat kids and how does that compare or just look at business kids and how does that compare yeah that's good and um yeah so it's it's good stuff i could ask 10 more questions but i won't do that um last question i have for you you shared that agencies that that prompt others to move abroad are responsible to understand the impact of high mobility and to provide services um to help tck's thrive can you share maybe one or two practical steps organizations and teams can begin to think um think about and consider and then put into action. So I don't want to just think about and consider, but um, I like things yeah. we could put into action, if that makes sense. I love action steps. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think something I'd like to say before I get into the action steps is that I think too often there's a sense that kids are just brought along for the ride. Kids are resilient. They'll be fine. Like do what's right for the parents or what's right for the organization, regardless of the sector. Uh, that's true in the business world, that's true in the diplomatic service, that's true in the military, that's true in the mission world. It's it's true across the board. I, I really think what this research is showing is that, one, the stress of the parents has a dramatic impact on the kids, and two, um, that mobility has a big impact on long-term development. And when we look at the practical preventive care protective factors um extreme mobility really makes it difficult to provide a lot of those Hmm. i really think that when an organization is responsible for creating that risk they are also responsible for one making families aware of that Mm -hmm. and providing the mitigation because we're not saying hey this bad thing happened so don't do it we're saying this bad thing is possible is a the risk increases so how about we increase our preventive factors right we know that your risk of having a car accident like your risk of injury in a car accident is bigger than your risk of injury on a you know walking down the street so we wear seatbelts right right your risk of injury riding a bike is bigger than your risk of injury walking so we wear a helmet things like right. that right we we have these protective factors in everyday life that we use we should be using them for our kids in these situations. Uh, and what really I think bothers me is that there are surveys out there showing that there is actually a financial hit when we don't take care of families. Hmm. Forget about when it reflects badly on an organisation. Forget about <laughs> the PR stuff. There's actually a, an immediate financial yeah. hit. Yeah. There's There's research showing that, you know, the biggest reason that, corporate assignments fail is um family dysfunction like the the spouse of the kids aren't happy yeah and we we can do things about that yeah if you gave a small amount of time and energy towards sure. it uh and that would be a small investment compared to the hundreds of thousands of dollars that get poured into that assignment yeah so i i think it just makes sense and it's right. frustrating that it doesn't get done so yeah. hopefully um, more gets done about that. Yeah. In terms of what can we do, because yeah. we can't all make those big high-level decisions. Right. What we can do. Number one, for those people who are in positions of organisations or schools, whatever, the Child Safety Protection Network is amazing. So being a member there, getting on their newsletter, getting the amazing information they set out, um, getting connected to the sort of of webinars they do, the conference they do, things like that, that is a really great option just to know what's out there, to get information, to get tips for how to improve how your organisation as a whole does this stuff. Um, for individual families, there is so much information out there now. Right? Mm. Compared to like 10 years ago, there are so many different books, so many blogs, so the podcasts even, whatever yeah. you want, it's there. Yeah. Um, and so finding the type of media that suits you, if you prefer audiobook, if you right. prefer podcast, if you prefer reading, whatever like works for you and the people right. around you, pick your favourite, right. find something. Um, there's different styles of books. There's heavy research, there's really easy read and there's everything in between yeah. um i have like a resource recommended resource page that gives you an explanation of what these different books are and what kind of books there are including picture books for kids so yeah. you know go and pick the resources that suit you 
yeah. uh, as the next thing. And then part of the reason I joined TCK training is this is a great source yeah. for some of the best preventive care out there. Yeah. As an individual, you can just go and pick a workshop that you want live or recorded yeah. that suits a particular need you have, yeah. or you can get a membership and get access to everything. Yeah. There's family curriculum yeah. to help you work through this stuff as a family. And on organizational levels, you can get a membership for an organization. So all of your parents can have access to it. It's good. So those are a couple of practical steps. It's and good. but I think the big piece is let's just start talking about it. Yeah. Let's let's be talking to our kids. Let's be considering their wellness when we are planning teams and planning activity that kids aren't just add-ons. Yeah. And that their wellness isn't just an an optional extra. Yeah, that's good. I, yeah. I, I, I lied to you, but I'm going to ask one more question. Barrier. So you gave us great action steps. Um, and But what do you see maybe as the biggest barrier is a parent is listening in to this and um, how can we help them try to overcome that barrier of taking mm. you have resources you have we have these resources in place you said there's been more available now in the last 10 years how can we help parents get over that barrier from yeah it's there to i'm actually going to engage it and use it and apply it in my family great question um i think one of the barriers is people feeling like they are they don't have the resources to devote to it whether that's time or money or both people are feeling the crunch I don't feel I have enough time to do it. I don't have enough money to do it. Um, there is something for every budget, right? For example, uh, one of Lauren's books that I recommend a lot called The Grief Tower, very easy read. She deliberately writes her books that she could read them and as the mother of really small children. Like if I could manage to read this book, then it's okay. If if I wouldn't be able to find time for this, then that's that I need to rewrite it. Like that's her style of writing, <laughs> which I'm like, that's actually a really good benchmark for me to keep in mind. Um, she has a book that it's really short. It's like yeah. seven bucks. Yeah. That's accessible to most people. And it's full of practical things that you can implement with your family right away. Yeah. That is a really great first step. Not much money. Yeah. Not much effort. Easy yeah. way in. Yeah. Right. There's there's always a first step. And I think just taking that first step is the hardest thing. But the other barrier, I believe, is a lot of people feel alone in this. Mm. That they're the only one going through this. Mm. Um, we actually started running groups because there are so many people who who are in remote locations or they have unsupportive teams and they just, you know, or business families like mine where there's no support required you know, provided and you are literally the only person you know from your company in that place. And um, if you're not going to an international school, which I wasn't, there's no community there. Um, yeah, so, like, finding people to do it with. That's yeah. one of the reasons actually going to a live webinar can be really helpful mm. because there's other people there too and yeah. you're engaging with them in real time. You know, you can ask live Q&A and you remember that you're not alone. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's so that's that's another thing I would find something live to attend, even yeah. if it's just you know a a, a free workshop online. Yeah. yeah, just that reminder that you're not alone can it's be good. really helpful. It's good. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing and the investment in families. Will you just take a few minutes or, or a minute or two and pray for us? Um, yeah, that what you've done will be put into action and pray for the families and parents that are listening in. Yeah, and thank you so much, Aaron, for the work that you do for for families around the world who, yeah, yeah maybe don't have community to talk about this with and yeah. giving them that bit of hope and encouragement. Thank you. Mm. Pray for us. Yeah, absolutely. Father, I thank you for this great opportunity to sit and talk about things that matter, that matter to us and that are on our hearts. It is so wonderful to have community even when that community, or even maybe especially when that community is spread across nations and nationalities and time zones. Lord, we thank you for your church as she is spread through time and space. Lord, we thank you that you are a father who loves his children. Teach us what it is to love in the way that you love us. 
and as we care for children, our own and others, by showing us your love, your fiercely protective love, your selfless and kind love, your faithful and everlasting love, your patient love. Lord, I I really want to pray a blessing on parents who are listening to this right now who are feeling stressed, drained, emotionally ragged, barely holding it together, who desperately want to love their children well but feel that they just aren't good enough, that they aren't a good enough parent, that their kids deserve better than they can give. Lord, would you give them peace right now? Refresh them with your kindness and your care for them as your children and let them love their kids out of the abundance of your love for them. Lord, we pray that you would provide next steps and community for each person listening and help us each be responsible for what we are able to do. We pray your blessing on everybody listening to this. In Jesus' name, amen.